Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome to Talk Easy, a weekly podcast of interviews with fascinating people from all walks of life. I'm your host, Sam Fragoso. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can always subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud or your favorite podcasting app. You can also email the show at talkeasypod at gmail.com. And please feel free to review the show on iTunes as well. Every review, negative, positive, brutally honest, a love letter, whatever you want to do, helps us reach new listeners. This week on the podcast, I'm excited to have the very talented Amy Simetz. As an actress, writer, and director, she first gained attention in the mumblecore film movement, a subgenre of indie film built on raw human dialogue, often improvised. Throughout the 2000s, she was prominent in the work of Joe Swanberg, Lena Dunham, and her now husband, Shane Carruth. Since then, Simetz has grown as an artist in many ways, creating opportunities for herself at every corner. In 2012, she made her directorial debut with Sun Don't Shine, an enigmatic road trip movie through Central Florida, her home state. Now she's back both behind and in front of the camera with The Girlfriend Experience, a riveting new star series about a law student turned high-class escort, inspired by Steven Soderbergh's film of the same name. I'm on my second year of law school. I do realize it's your passion. But did you and Avery talk about it? It's whatever you're comfortable with. And how much you want to get paid. Now, I already have a couple of exceptional men in mind. But I have to judge pretty quickly whether I should work with someone. So, what are you comfortable with? Yeah, I'm fine with all that. I mean, it's not something that I want to make into a career. I only do it a few times a month. I get off on it. I like the rush. He calls me Ashley. Chevy Chelsea. You can be whoever you want to be. Through the power of glorious technology, I spoke to Simetz via Skype from Australia, where she's currently acting in the new Ridley Scott movie, Alien Covenant. With a cigarette in tow, she explained quite honestly that no matter where she's put up during a film shoot, a construction site from hell appears to be following her. So as such, you'll hear minor construction noise in the background of this conversation throughout, along with a very lovely chirping bird that apparently needed to chime in. So apologies in advance for the imperfect sound quality, but nonetheless, I do hope you enjoyed this candid talk. 
with Amy Simons. So the show, you and Lodge alternate between writing and directing. Does it add more depth and complexity to have both the male and female perspective to these characters? You know, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I mean, it was such an experiment um, from the beginning that that I, I, I don't know, and it, it's the first time I've ever done that. Um, I do think that what's interesting is, you know, as a as a as a female filmmaker, one of the most frustrating things is you get lumped into being called a female filmmaker. I was just about to say, I, I was I was about to, about to ask you about that. Yeah, and it's and so you know, I do I do I do acknowledge like the that um there's there's something lacking when you don't have a diversity of voices, but when you are a, a filmmaker or at least for myself, I just want to tell stories. I want to tell human stories. Um, and, and so I don't want it to be looked at as a solely a female filmmaker, uh, or my approach is not solely as a female filmmaker. I would right. hope that it's more universal than that. Um, but I do think that there are certain aspects to, to like, to having a, a male and a female that, that, um, uh, allowed us to avoid some tropes, you know, or, or, or something that, you know, I, as a female in cinema get sick of seeing, um, how women are being representative. But I think for the most part, it was, it was an interesting thing because I, I don't really consider myself, you know, I, I consider myself a filmmaker first. Um, obviously I live my life as a, as a female, but in the stories that I tell, I, I consider myself more of a, a filmmaker, um, first and foremost. What tropes are you sick of seeing? Um, you know, th- there's, uh, in creating this character, we didn't want, we didn't, I feel like for the most part, when you have a, a woman who's a, extremely complex, she always has to have some sort of redeeming quality or show some sort of maternal side. Right. Um, and and uh, I get really frustrated with that because we've we get to see such really like such interesting and complicated male characters who aren't really that likable, and we find them fascinating. And they tend to be sort of our favorite, more iconic characters in in memory. You know, like like Taxi Driver, and and uh, you know uh, even in Breaking Bad. Yes, he had some redeeming qualities, but really he was just he, he's sort of a monster. We're watching a man turn into a monster, and I feel like we're much more accepting towards uh, male characters like that because it's just like fascinating to us and more accepted. Um, and I, I feel like uh, for me at least, I I, I want to. I'm I'm fascinated by women, whether they're you know have redeeming qualities or not. I just, I, I, I'm fascinated by sort of the like crazy women, I guess, in a way. Mm. Why do you think we're less accepting of, of women and women in that nature? You know, I'm not, I, 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 I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think, I think in general we're, we're, we're less accepting of it's, it's a power, you know, in all honesty, I think it's, I think it's a power situation. It's, it's that, you know, for the, for the predominantly men hold the power and so they don't have to be apologetic for, for their behavior. Um, it's a, I think it's a power issue. And I think because women or, you know, minorities in, in, uh, in the world, uh, don't, since they don't hold the power, they have to feel apologetic if they make mistakes in a way. Have you felt apologetic? In terms of my career? Yeah. I mean, oh, well, both. I mean, and, and otherwise. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I've made a concerted effort to to stop myself from from saying sorry all the time. You, there, it's a very um, female, or, or what I've, no, I, I hate to say this, but you know, it, it is. It's much more common for women to apologize and uh, than it is for men in the industry. You know, mm-hmm. just like simple mistakes or, or or take the blame for immediately. The instinct is to take the blame. Um, for something that's gone wrong, just, just to get, just to move forward. So it's like, Oh, I don't, I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. I'll take the blame. Let's move forward. Um, whereas I think men both in, 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 uh, just day-to-day life don't feel, I'm not saying that they don't feel sorry, but it's just, it's something that I've noticed that women say sorry a lot, you know, um, for stuff that doesn't, doesn't need an apology, you know, and, and, and I, and I also note 
you know, the part of, you know, part of a discussion of like women, not um, women, not predominantly women, not being part of like these, these huge budgets or not being afforded these huge budgets to make movies. I think there's also a, a, an entitlement issue of, of women not necessarily being bred to feel like they deserve that, uh, that amount of money to make something, you know, um, that it's that, that you have to feel so grateful every time you're given an opportunity. I think there's something in that. Whereas I, what I've noticed in, in, in a power structure, most men feel like that's the logical next step is to keep getting bigger and bigger budgets. Right. It's just sense. like, Oh, of course this is happening now. Cause I did this. Yeah, like like I I find you know I'm so eternally like grateful for for all of the the um, opportunities I've had, but then I find myself in situations where where uh, the the my male peers, not all of them, but my male peers are just like, yeah, I deserve this, you know, or and I'm wondering, you know, what part of my personality is 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 a uh, constantly feeling like, Oh, I can't believe that. Like I'm in this situation. Like, yes, I'm an anomaly in, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, but like, uh, but at the same time that, that, that aspect of, Oh, I can't believe somebody chose me to, to be doing these things. I don't think that that's, I think that part of the reason that men are so successful in this business is that they just, they accept it in as, as like a natural progression in their career. Hmm. At what point in your career did you, realize oh yeah this is happening because i'm talented and that i i worked really hard for this to happen i don't know if that's happened yet (laughs) no i mean you okay you have a show you've made a movie you acted in uh 50 plus films according to my uh very limited imdb research you clearly have had uh success uh in 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 some ways Mm -hmm. you know i I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't want to sound, I'm not being self-deprecating and saying this, but you know, you know, I, I feel like the more I do stuff, I, I realize that everyone feels like, you know, a, a, what is it? The a wolf in sheep's clothing sort of, <laughs> sort of, you know, like that, that, or just sort of that they're not supposed to be there that at some point somebody's going to go, Oh, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And you're fired <laughs> because it's also you're playing in the land of make believe, and and each set that I've been on, performing or directing or doing any sort of role, each each set is its own beast. So every time it feels like the first day of school. So even if you are the most well trained or or you know feel like you have all your shit together, you always feel like you're walking into a situation that's completely unknown. So. It, you know, and so it, 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 you know, it, it's a, it's a weird pendulum of, of, of having a giant ego and feeling like you, you are like nobody, you know, it's like this that, weird. That, that is, that is a wide uh, spectrum right there. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's such a roller coaster, and, and I haven't, you know, the most successful people I've met and the, even people who are just like struggling just to get by everyone sort of universally has that, that, that pendulum swing. Cause it, cause you have to have some form of, uh, of, of self-worth or ego to go into the arts to begin with, I think, to put yourself on public display. You started, uh, you were born and raised in Tampa. Yes. So when did you start getting into all of this? Um, Hmm. I always wrote, I mean, I was always, I always wanted to write, but I always thought it would be a hobby. I always thought that, okay. Cause I was on a path to be a doctor Oof. and, uh, yeah, yeah. totally. Different. Yeah. That, yeah. My parents were not thrilled in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, I think there's, there's a part of my mom that still wishes I'd become a lawyer uh, cause she's a lawyer and I, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm disappointing her and uh, um, almost every day. Kind of. Kind of. Well, it, you know, it's, it, my mom is really happy right now, um, but it is—it's a really unstable lifestyle, you know. Like I'm doing really well right now, but I'm—but but if I am looking at my peers, I know that there's going to be some period of time where it's not so easy and it's not so, you know, it, you, you have to continue to make yourself relevant in this business. And, and whereas with like, you know, medicine, 
or, or any sort of stable job. It's just like you become a doctor and you're kind of set as long as you don't sell drugs to your patients. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, know? that, that you could sell drugs to your patients. Um, and you may make some money on the side. You may lose your license, but it, it could work out. It, yeah, it could work out. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just, I don't, I totally understand my, like the trepidation of having a child that goes into the arts, especially like I, I didn't come from money, you know, it's, it's not like they were, it, it was, it was, it was very clear that I had to make a living for myself right. um, because I can't, I can't live off my mom who is brilliant, but I can't live off her <laughs> forever. You know, or couldn't, I could, I had to, I, I, I mean, I just didn't, we didn't have the money to support me to just like go out and, and do whatever I wanted and just be an artist. I had to find a way to make a living doing it. Right. So there was pressure from the get go to not only make art, but to support yourself through art. Yeah. And you know, I, I didn't start uh, approaching film as a, as a, business, so to speak. I still had that mentality from when I was younger that this is something that I want to do no matter if I am successful in, I don't know what that term means, but commercially successful, I guess. I, I always, I, I came at film and storytelling in a much more experimental fashion and took side jobs, but yeah. I, but I, I was supporting myself through like nannying and waitressing and, and odd end jobs as a seamstress for a while. I mean, I just, I, basically, I, I, I think I've worked in every single field in order to support myself uh, while I was pursuing this. And then luckily, uh, I can just do this now. So Right. So was it in high school that you started writing? And uh, I, I started writing when I was really young. Like, I was, I was always really was making books when I was really young and, and constantly exploring just, just narrative in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, it was, it was, it was just this, this moment in my senior year where I just decided that I'm going to go to film school instead of, uh, instead of going, pursuing my medical, cause I was in this medical program in right. high school. And, and, and so I just decided that I was going to go to film school and, <laughs> my parents tried to dissuade me not to do that. Yeah. Which, how, what, you know, how was that? How was that conversation? Like, do you remember that uh, conversation you had in high school? Senior yeah. Years? I mean, I, I got into NYU, got into NYU and I went to NYU and, and, um, and, and, uh, did not finish at NYU. Um, and I actually ended up getting my degree in English literature and art history, which are great, great material. Yeah. For great the, material. For, but job opportunities <laughs> almost non-existent but great yeah, material exactly and so so i mean i, I in, in all honesty i actually really like that they that that my parents were very skeptical about film school because uh in you know for at least for me i i i because i didn't end up finishing film school or i only went for a semester of film school i really the the best thing nobody really needs to go to film school I, that's my opinion okay i was about to ask you what what happened in your one semester there um it was it's just so expensive and 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 thinking about it that the only thing i was learning was picking up a camera editing myself and learning all the aspects of it and you can do that without being in a film program mm -hmm. or uh, looking for acceptance if you have that personality not looking for acceptance that i'm doing something right um, which I have like a little, you know, I, I personally don't like when I'm searching for acknowledgement from other people. I don't like anyone telling me what to do. And, and so for me, it was, it was, it made more sense to just drop out because the, the student loans alone would have been inhibitive of me making anything in the future. Mm. So what happens after you do one semester, you go, to California to do the English major? No, I went back to Florida because it was free um, to Florida State. It was, it, I had scholarships, so it was free for me to go to school there, which is compared to $200,000 in debt at, at, you know, four years at NYU, that sounded much nicer. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. That's good. 
How much time is there between you graduating and making Sun Don't Shine? Uh, mm, Sun Don't Shine. So I did, I did a bunch of shorts and I did experimental theater in San Francisco for a while. And then I made more shorts when I moved to LA and, um, and I actually made an experimental feature in that interim in like 2005 ish. So it was about from the time I graduated until I started shooting sun don't shine. It was about eight years, but in that eight year interim, I was, I had made a bunch of stuff. So it wasn't like that was my first right. attempt at, at making something. Was the goal always to make that feature film? Uh, I wrote, I mean, no, uh, I wrote that sort of in this fury, like uh, it was this very troubling time for me. Um, I my my dad was was ill, and I had moved back to Florida to take care of him. Mm-hmm. And I just it was just so every day was so like a heightened version of life because he was just you know dealing with death is just so bizarre. And I, um, no offense to the films that I had been doing as an actress, but I, I felt like it was lacking in immediacy, mm-hmm. uh, or like, or, or something on the line. Lacking, and, lacking in immediacy for you or for, in general? For, in, in narratively. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I felt like I was dealing with death every single day and was, had my nose up in it, you know, every single fucking day that I, you know, these really, these small, beautiful stories were, were great in their own light. But I was, I was, was finding that I needed something deeper or to deal with like, you know, this heightened, uh, experience that I was having and, and found that even though I was dealing with death every single day, I was also in denial that I was going to lose this person. So essentially Sun of China was born out of this, this, this sort of nightmarish uh, fear of death and denial of death. Um, yeah. What did your father have? Um, he, he was having strokes. So he had, a, he had a massive stroke and then he continued to have strokes. And I sort of just watched him, you know, this person that I knew so deeply, like just slowly go away. It was about like a three-year process. It was really intense. Three years. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really bizarre. I mean, I, 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 that, when I made that film, it was, it was really interesting. Cause like, you know, and even still now I'm, I'm really, you know, not that I'm glad I lost my dad or anything, but, but that process allowed me to like be a little fearless in a way because nothing would ever come close to, to how scary and hard dealing with death is. You know, so I, and, and, and I, when I was making Sun Don't Shine, I, I remember like being completely stress-free about anything. It was just like, oh, we lost a location. Oh, well, that's not hard to figure out, you know, because <laughs> I was, because I was like signing DNRs, um, do not resuscitate on like a weekly basis, you know, for my dad, like, like just insane sort of, um, stuff that, that made, made filmmaking, pale in a difficulty level in comparison. Right. I mean, when that's happening, everything else feels like it's, it's, there's not a lot of weight to it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, okay, so, yeah, so we don't shoot in that location. Oh, well, we'll find another one. I mean, it's all just sort of, it, it makes you, I mean, it makes, it, it clears your head about everything when you're dealing with something like that. It clears your head about relationships. It clears your head. I mean, not really, well, what, but it clears your head. You just have this razor sharp sort of focus because nothing seems like a big deal, you know, um, compar- comparatively. Would you tell your father about the project? Oh, yeah. No, I would go. I was going every day when we were shooting and, and when I was writing and I talked to him about it and and um, and explain everything. I think. But it was it was really interesting. I think part of the surrealness of the of the movie, too and sort of the playing around with time was part of part of those conversations I was having with him because with, when he was having his strokes time, uh, the way that he would explain stories or time for him had, was not linear anymore. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, it was all sort of like 
like a layer cake. I don't I don't know how to explain it, but I want to. Uh, yeah, what, what does that mean? Um, you know, he he'd be explain. He would could remember you know moments that I if I t- started telling him like a story that we had experienced together, like I would ask him, you know, do you remember? Um, do you remember coming to my tennis matches? And he'd be like, yes. And then he would, he would start talking about it. And some of the details were real and, and had actually happened and were a shared experience. But then he also had, um, family member, like he would explain that there were family members there that had already were deceased. And he'd like fold over stories that he'd experienced before into this, into coming to my tennis matches, you know, stories from his childhood. And they all seemed to like, meld together in this layer take they were no there was no longer him being like this happened to me as a kid this happened when i was an adult and your father it was all just a like a, a mesh of, of, of experiences all folded on top of each other so all of time all of time was one thing yeah exactly exactly it was, How- i mean it's really fast it's really fascinating i mean the brain is so fascinating. I had I, I had some really intense experiences just talking with him about time and and space and and how and experiencing life in general. It's really interesting. When he would talk about like you know when he would talk about your tennis match, and he would say this person was there, and they weren't there. I mean, how would you respond to that? You know, at first. Um, when we thought that he would get better, like at first, you know, in rehabilitation or, or any sort of like therapy, like physical speech therapy, occupational therapy, you know, the goal is to rehabilitate that person so that they can, they can enter life again. But once you, once we reached a point where we knew that he wasn't, this is so sad to say this, but that he wasn't going to get better. Um, you just, it was all about comfort and so I just allowed him to live in whatever reality he wanted to at a certain point um, because it made him feel comfortable. Mm. That's a strange thing. Yeah. That's hard. That's hard to grapple with. Yeah. But it's, a, but, it, but again, it's like, I, you, I've never felt closer to a human being than, than going through that experience. Oh. You went back home to make, this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just thinking, because last Friday we showed uh, River Grass at at the theater I program stuff at. And mm-hmm. oddly, I mean, they're both movies. About, uh, two, you know, both you and Kelly Reichardt went back home to Florida to make their debut, and they're both oddly road trip mm-hmm. movies in a way. Yeah. It's like a, it's a very, very specific parallel. Yeah, no, I mean, it's hard. I, I mean, I've never talked to her about this, and and I, I'm a big fan of that movie. But that you know, there's something when you leave Florida. I mean, you when you grow up in Florida, and if you're a specific kind of person, I can only assume she is like me, where I grew up there, and I was like, I want to get the fuck out of here. Um, and uh, but you leave, and it's it's just Florida's growing up in Florida is this very strange. Um, experience that is like nowhere else. I mean, I'm sure everyone feels the same way about their home, you know, or where they grew up, but it's just this wild landscape and, and all of the, all of the, the sort of memories that I have are so tactile. I mean, between the heat and, and, um, and the humidity and, and sort of having water everywhere. It's just this, these memories of, of very tactile, um, sensations that, that, that I don't, I don't really experience anywhere else. What, what, um, what was so strange about it? I mean, it's crazy. They're crazy people there. It's a crazy <laughs> clash. It's a crazy <laughs> clash of, you know, it's, it's a crazy clash of, um, it's funny. I'm, I'm in Australia right now and I, and, and it's, it's very similar. The history of, of Florida is very similar to Australia in the sense that, you know, there were, it was primarily native native americans living there um and then when they decided to to um purchase it and 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 develop it uh they they sent prisoners uh down to florida to dredge the place 
And uh, and so they sent all these prisoners down there to give them lesser sentences, and then they promised them a house on whatever land they they you know cleared. And so the the, the first you know I guess white people or whatever you want to say um, were were uh, criminals. And then after the criminals made it okay for people to live there, they marketed it to people as a vacation spot for families. Right. So you have all these criminals that basically built the place. And then they, they're telling families to come down and vacation. And then <laughs> they started marketing it as a retirement um, place, which is insane. And then on top of that, you have, you know, this influx of, of, uh, of Central American and, and South American uh, 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 immigrants coming in. It's just this crazy clash of culture that, that uh, and then you have, of course, you know, the, the snowbirds coming down. And, and criminals and elderly and Central Americans and and then the 80s, 70s and 80s with like the whole drug, you know, situation, which still continues now. But it's not as not as crazy and lawless, but it's just this really strange history of a place. So when you went back there to film, did it feel like home again? Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I. I I had missed it, and I, and when I first went home, I was like, oh, I, I love, I love how crazy this place is, and I love, I love how that you know, and there's something about people from that live in Florida who just don't really, they don't really give a fuck. Like everyone's sort of friends with everyone. It's 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 not. I should I should I should preface that you know, there's a distinction between people that um, move there and live in these gated communities and cut themselves off from the rest of Florida, which right. I didn't live in. But like, you know, really rich people are friends with people who are just like beach bums and don't really like work to play. You know, there's there's this and and everyone because it's so hot and humid, nobody's dressing up um, in in a fancy way. Everyone's just trying to like feel okay in that heat. Um, There's just there's a sort of uh, there's, you know, obviously there's 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 um, exceptions to the rule. But for the most part, the majority of of Floridians are. Just don't really give a fuck um, in general. Have you carried that ethos to where we're yeah. now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yes. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I, I try, I try to look nice sometimes when it's appropriate, <laughs> but in my, you know, but in my day to day life, I don't really think about it. Um, and, and also I'm just, I'm very non judgmental about people because, because, I don't know. Like for instance, I, I, my mom will be so mad at me. But but for instance, um, everyone I knew growing up, their parents had some sort of association to, like whether to like the the drug trade, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it was that their parents had to go to rehab because they got addicted to cocaine. My father being one of them, and. And or that they actually were the people driving the boats from like Colombia or Cuba and went to prison in some way. It was just there's this period of time in, in the 70s and 80s where it wasn't taboo uh, to be associated with with uh, with the, the drug trade. It was just this really fast way to make money. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, people have boats down there and they were go- they were making trips to Cuba anyways, you know. And and so it wasn't until the war on drugs started that people started to like find it taboo. So my generation and my sister's generation, she's a few years older than me. They, we, all our parents were, had friends that were in some way had their hands in this situation. And I think that for, for me, what I took out of that was that, you know, just to say is not, I'm just very non-judgmental because, um, I, I could see how easily you can slip into the sort of these lifestyles. Um, without meaning to, without trying to live a life of crime. So you avoided all that. Mm. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, are we are we being honest? Uh, here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't escape it. That's the right. truth. I mean, it's so of any of the cities that I that I've lived in, drugs are like really rampant in right. in Florida. Um, it's just, it's just everywhere. Um, and that, 
and yeah, I, I mean, I avoided it to better than some people, but you know, it's, it's really hard to, to be growing up and not sort of, be, and, and I also have that, that dark fascination too, of like, of getting close to something and, and wanting to experience it. So it was impossible for me to, to avoid it. What, what do you th- where do you think that fascination comes from? Um, well, I, my family is really strange. I mean, they're really lovely people, but they're really crazy. And, and, and so, and you know, everyone says that about their family, I guess. Right. Um, yeah, but, no, no, my family's crazy for sure. Yeah. And, but like, I mean like clinically crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I got, I got the cream of the crop with my mom and my dad mm-hmm. and even they, even they have their faults, you know, um, but, or had my dad passed away, but even it's like, and, and my dad, what was really beautiful about my dad and my mom too, is that he, he did, he did go to rehab. He, he, like, like I was saying, he, he went to rehab and he was very open about it and very open about, uh, this, this dark side of himself. And he stayed sober the rest of his life. But like, he was very open with me, even as a kid about, sort of this dark side of himself. Um, and so I, I think that that was, you know, I, I, we were very, very close. And I think that was, that was sort of part of why I, uh, I'm attracted to, or, or, or open-minded at least to the darker side of human nature. How did those conversations go? Were they uncomfortable? Yeah, but not, re- I mean, I think for him it was tough. Uh, he would he would cry like he felt a lot of regret about some of the decisions that he had made. But but no, I mean it, it, he was he never. Whenever I'd ask questions about it, he never denied me an honest answer to it. Um, it which I really appreciate because it, it allowed me to understand addiction and allowed me to understand human faults. Um, and the. I was just always a, a curious kid and I always wanted to know why something would happen or why you would do something. And so it was, it was hard to avoid me as a kid. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so what happens after you finish sun don't shine? Um, so then, so I, I was in the middle of editing it when, um, when Shane called to do upstream color and I actually actually finished my edit while I was doing Upstream Color with the help of David Lowry, another filmmaker, um, uh, because I was acting and I needed somebody to help me, you know, finish my edit. I was editing myself. And then because I, I wanted to act with, with Shane, um, I, I needed somebody to help me out on that. And so I simultaneously finished Sun Don't Shine and Upstream Color at the same time. And in that in that interim, which was really crazy and hectic, my, my dad passed away. Um, and so I had these two films that, you know, I'd finished that were very important to me and, but also had no reason to live in Florida anymore, which was a pretty dark period of time. Strangely, it was like exciting things and the darkest year of my life. Well, it's like, Um, it's, 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 the passing of your father and then this, your work finally being, um, you know, people watching it and your career yeah. sort of ascending in a way. And yeah. then, and then that realiz I mean, I can imagine that realization of, well, now I have to move. That's hard. Yeah. It was insane. And, you know, it, and it, serendipitously I had the, like around that time I had, um, I'd been cast in, in family tree, hmm. uh, the Christopher guest. Right. Uh, show. and, and I, that was like, that was amazing. I mean, that was, that was like the perfect, you know, cause I, 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 I tend to like, again, like I tend to attract not, not only be fascinated by, but attract people who want, I guess, a darker actress. Mm. Is, that, <laughs> um, is that, is that what you represent? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know why, but, but yeah, for the most part, people who, who are exploring dark topics, that seems to be sort of a very common theme, but what was so lovely about, about coming out of this very dark period of time was that I got to 
go to LA and work with like just the lightest and, and, and brightest sort of, you know, comedic actors. And it was just like so perfect, perfectly timed to sort of end this dark phase, you know? So, um, and then I, and then I immediately went straight back into dark side and, and, and hooked up with Venus Soot and, and did the killing. But, um, mm. Oh no, it just all happened very fast. It was all sort of like, seemed like I had this very dark, period of time and then suddenly I got cast in um in family tree my movie was coming out upstream was coming out and i'm in the killing it was just all sort of like this wild sort of you know sudden i I had been in this like weird space of dealing with death and then suddenly everything ramped up and just started falling into place do you think in a way those successes and all these things happening helped you grieve with the past your father yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, I would go insane if I was just sitting and thinking about it all the time. But I also think, you know, that that uh, that the fact that I was opening myself up to things more because I had been in this dark three year period um, was also sort of important as well. That I that I was actually open to going away and doing um, things uh, was a big part of it too, because I had been holding myself back just to you know make sure my dad was okay did you feel any guilt about moving no (laughs) no no no. i was i was like i was very happy to to, i mean i i still like it actually took me like a, a year to feel okay going back home again it was it was it was that was just a wound everything reminded me of my dad when i would go home so it took it took a it took a while for me to feel okay uh, emotionally just being there again and, and having new memories or, or being okay with the memory of my dad or, or, or without breaking down, you know, um, it's, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's death is such a, a weird process of getting over, you know, um, it was, it wasn't until like a, a year or two ago that I, I was able to like remember my dad in a way that made me smile as opposed to that three year period, um, of struggle. I've had, I've had very, I've been fortunate and, um, my limited experience is that I, I, I can't, anyone who has died in my family, I can't think of them and not get upset. I'm not, yeah. I, I'm not at that, at your phase yet. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes in waves. It's not like I, I'm devoid of <laughs> that. I that I went through my process and I was done. I remember having having this thought that I was like, okay, so I'll allow myself to break down for a few months and then I, then I'll get over it. But you can't predict stuff like that. It's always just like a just such a long process. And I, and I don't think that you ever do really get over it. It's just death or the way your memory of death. Uh, it just, it just, it just, it's, it's ever present. It's just, it, it evolves into something different. It's, it's, a, it's, I think I'm still going through the process of, of, of that. Yeah, anytime you tell yourself that you're going to emotionally react this way for X amount of time, I feel that never seems to work out for me. No, it doesn't. And I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's almost like suppressing or, what is naturally and so you know i mean i re- i react i i had a, i had crazy i went crazy like for a brief period of time and then and then <laughs> had to go to therapy and stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> why, why are you laughing at this oh well it's i, I laugh at everything that's dark but um <laughs> but it, it, you know because because it's like it's um how do i explain it you have something chem. I, I, know, I know that something chemically is going. Let, was going on too it, throughout that process, and to tell somebody like, "Oh, you know, you should just do this." Like everything in your brain is telling you, like, "Okay, yeah, I'll do that to make myself feel better." But you can't. You can't control your emotions in in that way. Like, yes, you, you don't kill people and stuff like that because somebody died. But but you but. I don't know. It's, it's like what I try to explain to, to the opposite sex when it's that time of month. It's like, I know you can tell me that, um, 
that I, I'm crazy and that I have PMS, but chemically I can't control it. Like I'm still feeling everything. Um, it's, I don't know. I, I just, it's a, it's a strange, a strange sort of thing. Emotions are, you know, did you get something out of therapy? I did. Yeah, I did. I it actually, it, you know, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's magic, but it, I think just talking to an ob objective person about your emotions was, was for, at least for me was, was really helpful. Um, in, in sort of, you know, there's no, there's no sort of, there's no attachment or, or sort of, uh, all the trappings of, of worrying about what the other person is going through when you're talking about, it's a very selfish thing. I mean, grieving in general is a selfish thing, but, um, it, it definitely, it, it helped me to at least acknowledge behavior or have some sort of self-control, um, over my behavior because I was aware of why I was making decisions. Yeah. You know? I don't think I've heard people talk about grieving as selfish before. Really? I don't think so. I, I, I think, I think that that's an interesting perspective. Um, you know, I, I don't mean it. I, I'm, I'm saying that not to say that people shouldn't. I, I, but right. I, but I think it's, I think then you're, when you're grieving the way that you grieve and how you grieve and, and, and your relationship to that, the, a person who's, who's gone is, is, is so personal and it's, it's your own that it's, 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 it's selfish. Like, I mean, I don't, you have to do, I don't think selfish is necessarily a bad thing in certain circumstances, but it's not for anyone else, but yourself, hmm. you know? Like a, me grieving doesn't help my sister in her grieving process and her grieving doesn't help me and my, even though we both share the same father. Mm. Yeah, I, I read in an interview of yours, you're talking about selflessness and selfishness in a way. And you're talking about it in relation to this show. And um, you said, and I really, this quote, I've been thinking about it all day. Uh, so I'll just read it. <laughs> uh, you said, everything can be bought and is commodified. We're all products of a capitalist society. Relationships are transactional. You look at another person and you see what you could give to me and I'll give back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amy. <laughs> Amy. <laughs> I mean, here, here. So, so through going through therapy, and I, and, and I, it, uh, there is. We'll put it this way: okay. like, like in our in our society, in in a capitalistic society, the idea of yes, like there's all these Christian values that say to be selfless and give and give and give, but when you, but in reality. When we, when we hear, if you were get, to give advice to a friend who is constantly getting walked over and they just keep giving and giving and giving, your advice is stop giving, correct? Yes. Like, yeah. And, and, and so we, we in, in, some, in some sort of capacity have decided that giving and giving and giving and not getting anything in return is, um, is a form, it's, it's not good. It's not healthy. I'm not, I'm just saying this from a purely objective point of view. I don't, I, I think it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous concept to like give selflessly, you know, to give to people. Mm -hmm. But, but in reality, we as a culture have decided that that's an unhealthy way to live. It's, it's like that martyrdom is, is not, um, is not a healthy way to live your life. So if that's true, then you're looking to get something out of it. If you're trying to give, you know, and I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I, I don't want it to sound callous, but it's true. It's like, it's, you know, I had a really wonderful relationship to with my parents, but if my, you know, it would be really unhealthy if my parents didn't give me anything and I just kept trying to please them like constantly just kept giving back and, and vice versa. They just kept giving, giving, giving to me and I didn't return any sort of affection or love. It would be unhealthy for them to have that sort of relationship to me. I, I understand. I think I was taken aback merely by the idea that you look at another person and you, and you, 
I don't know. There's just an objectification there. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I think you're probably right. I just kind of wish you weren't right. <laughs> no, I wish I wasn't either. I, I, you know, it's not, it's not that I'm trying to, you know, uh, I'm not saying like, don't do nice things for people. I'm not telling people what to do. I just know that for the most part, even when people are doing something nice, a lot of times for the, uh, the majority of people are doing it to get something in return, whether that's to feel good about themselves or to, you know, tell their friends that, you know, to have a, to be seen as a, a, as a philanthropist or something. Um, and I, I hate feeling that way, but it's just, I just feel like it's true. Do you feel given your position in, I don't want to, I, I hate saying the industry, but you, you've achieved this, this, and this. Do you feel when you walk into a room or some, some gathering, some event for some film, whatever, that the interactions are calculated? Or superficial. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's and that's not and I look but those are like events are the worst. I yeah. mean, um, and 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 that's that's me that's me coming at it like watching as my my career develops the the kinds of people that come and talk to me or won't talk to me. Um, just observing that. Yeah. I think I think you go to the. I mean, here's the thing. You go to those events there's a difference between going and watching a movie and, and, and just taking what you want from the movie and leaving. But when you go to the event, you're there to like socialize. And for the most part, you know, talk to the people that you're, you know, to talk to people to, to progress your quote unquote career. That sounds so like jaded. Um, and it, it gets, it gets complicated because, you know, I have, a lot of my friends are in the industry and, and I, and I love them dearly, but those, you know, those events are just, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's just ripe for everyone to, to be like trying to make a statement of, of their own, their own self-worth and everyone else. I mean, it, it's just, it's hard. I, <laughs> I, I see, I'm, 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 I'm saying like I'm jaded. It's, I, I'm, I'm guilty of all this shit too, you know? It's I'm guilty of, of like being in situations where I'm simultaneously eye rolling while somebody's like telling me all their accomplishments, but then find myself in the next conversation just to feel like, oh, I'm I'm supposed to be here, you know, talking about what I'm doing. It's it's sort of like all feeding itself, you know. Right. And the one thing that I in my limited experience with all that, uh, it's like not what you signed up for. Like it would be really nice if you could just do the work, if you could oh, just God. if you could just write, yeah. if you could just go and do that. And and I actually, I mean, I enjoy you know meeting new folks and um, interacting, but uh, it does feel like everyone's always trying to tell you about the latest thing they've done or figuring out a way to work together, but not really work together, but to advance which is so strange. It's such a, I don't know. It's weird that it happens in the film world because it is, you know, uh, it is capitalistic. It is, it is, it is a product being bought and sold. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like, it's really funny. It's like everyone's sort of fighting for their own space, you know? And, and, and I, I haven't met anyone, um, who goes to those things and, and especially if somebody wants something from them, um, you know, I haven't met anyone who has been in a conversation where they, they can tell somebody wants something from them that hasn't had the thought, like, I don't know what I can give to you. I'm barely like making it myself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> barely like getting by on my own sort of like intellect, you know, do you feel, um, do you feel like you're barely getting by? Oh shit! No, no. I mean, now I, it's a uh, this is insane. I mean, I'm, I, I'm. It's insane. I mean, I, I aren't, feel. Aren't like, aren't you in Australia shooting something? <laughs> aren't you in? A, you're. I, I I looked this up because I don't. I uh, I didn't know about it. 
But aren't you, you're there shooting what Alien Covenant? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I'm shooting Alien. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. What? What? Hey, why don't you tell me about that movie, Amy? Who? Who? What? What's that? What's that about? Ah, I can't really even talk about it. But um, <laughs> but I but I do. I, what I'm so excited. Ridley is really really awesome. Um, oh ri- wait, oh, sorry. Who's who's that? Ridley. <laughs> oh oh okay yeah interesting yeah yeah I've heard oh, yeah, I've I heard I've heard of him yeah excuse me Sir Ridley Scott right. um, you're on a first name basis though yeah um, but no he's he he is very he's very great it's it, it's actually what's really exciting to me is I've never been exposed to a production on this level and so it's really interesting to sort of watch how it functions it's a beast man yeah how does it function <laughs> with a lot of money. Um, it's, um, no, I mean, I I was watching, we were shooting and I was watching like helicopters, like fly in, you know, set deck and stuff. And I was like, this is insane. Um, but yeah, I mean, even in, you know, even in, in that, even in that realm, I like everyone that I'm around is really lovely, but everyone's sort of fighting for their own position, you know? Um, it's just again it's a it's an industry unfortunately where you're constantly trying to make yourself seem relevant in some way you you've said that i think two or three times like the idea yeah. the idea of relevancy yeah i mean it, it's it's like you i don't like i feel really happy like 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 i said before it's like i feel really amazed amazed that i'm I have to come up with new goals is basically the bottom line. But like, but I feel really amazed at where I am right this very second, but I don't ever take for granted that this is not how it's going to constantly be for the rest of my life. Like you have to, you, I can't just go, Oh, I, I, I've, uh, I've directed this television show and, and, uh, now I'm an alien. Um, just give me things, right? you know, I have to, it's still, it, it's funny. It's like, I wish that was the case, but I know, <laughs> I know that I, you know, that I just, I don't wish that's the case. I really actually enjoy working and, and kind of like figuring out like writing and, and creating. So it's not, it's not that I wish that was the case because I'm going to be doing that anyways. But, but I, I just know that it's not, it's not ever going to get easy and it's never going to be consistent. And it's, it's, it's just this weird um, you have to do a lot of work in order to, to, to make your, to make your work, you know? You said you need new goals. So, uh, what are the new goals? Yeah. Oh, um, well, I, I'm, de- I'm developing a, a completely different television show. And, um, and then in, in addition to that, just sort of time management is a big issue right now because of, of everything that I'm doing. Um, and I, I really, in the past it was like not easy, but every writing, directing, producing, acting was, was, I had much more time for it and I didn't have to like go, okay, now, you know, I have to set aside a specific period of time during the day to focus on each aspect. And now I have to be very good at, at carving out an hour here, an hour here for each project. Um, I, I, I'm terrible at that. I try, yeah, I, but I'm, I, I'm really bad at it. Yeah. No, we, we've, Shane, Shane got me into this. Um, have you ever heard of, what is it? Um, Pomodoro's, this way of working. No, I don't know. Shane's really into it and he's very good at it. He's much better than I am. But, um, where you work for 25 minutes, take a five minute break, work for 25 minutes, take a five minute break. And it's just like tricking yourself into sitting down for 25 minutes. Cause it seems much more manageable than being like, I'm going to, work all day, you know, um, it's just much more efficient. So, but it, it, yeah, it, I was not, I was never good at time management. Um, but now I have to be. Hmm. That sound, that sounds very nice to be. (laughs) It's it's work. It's more work than the actual work. It's time management, (laughs) (laughs) at least for my personality. Um, we we haven't really talked about the show that much. No, that's fine. <laughs> You're okay. Are you are you are you over talking about it? No, no, no. 
know. It's 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 interesting. I mean, you know, I, I it's getting more and more interesting as people get, you know, as as the conversation starts to expand a little bit, and there's a, there's arguments, and I can see how it's unfolding. It's starting to get it's starting to get more interesting than, you know, the same old production questions, I guess. Right. Um, what 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 are the arguments? Uh, you know, it's it's int- we knew that we knew it was coming, and um, but that it's that it that it's um, you know, there's a whole like two sides of feminism arguing right now. Mm-hmm. One is one side's very angry about the the decisions that our our lead character makes in the show. In in what way? Um. Well, I guess uh, whatever. People, it's it's binge binge watchable, so you can watch it. But uh, that, hmm, I don't know if I should reveal it. But just well, you, you well, yeah. you're gonna ruin it for me then. Uh. Okay, I, I won't. <laughs> it's just you, you should. It, it's it's the it's the age old debate of like of women who are who are sexual and sort of the perception of that and uh, and that. You know, in the end, our character is happy with this lifestyle, um, and I think that's making women, uh, certain a certain group of women, be very, very upset about that. Mm. Um, and then there's the other, the other feminist side that that is saying that this is sexually empowering, which is really interesting. Um, why do you think and, why Why do you think women are upset about that? I understand why. It's not like. Well, I completely understand why. I mean, in the in the end, again, I don't want to ruin it for you. I think I know what it is now. She, I'm assuming she chooses. She doesn't choose law. She doesn't choose law. Okay. But it's also there's there's a situation that she gets into that that makes sense for her character to not choose law. Okay. Um, in my opinion, um, if I were if we were to choose the the other direction, I feel like it. And again, it's like the way the way you'll see what, the way we end the show is not. Um, this is the, <clears throat> the end of this woman's life. This is what she's going to be doing forever. You're co- sort of left with this. Um, we leave her at a moment in time, you know, where she's chosen to do this. And I don't know if that's the end for her or what, but that's the end of this story, um, for the time being. And so I think when you leave people with that, they don't, they don't like it very much. They don't like it. They want everything to either be like, completely a tragedy or completely a success yeah i don't you, think you, got, you gotta you gotta, you gotta tell us what happens Amy. we need to we need to know we need there can't be ambiguity <laughs> but but that's not how life works <laughs> ah, that's true you know you know it's it's it's, it's and, and i think what's interesting too is it's like the the, the decision at the end that we made works for this character it, it and, and our approach to everything was was to not editorialize or tell you what she's doing is right or wrong. So in the end, we're leaving you with that question, you know, of, of how do you feel about this woman doing this and choosing this path over this other thing? It's not. Um, I'm not trying to tell you it's right or wrong. It's just the decision this woman makes. You know. I mean, I think then I am interested in just flipping that onto you then. The same question. You you very you you very much chose this path. You know there were other ones you could have taken, and you chose it. And do you feel good about it? Yeah, I mean it's it's fine. There's I mean there's 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 moments in time where I where I go get really sick of it and wish I had a different career. But like again, what, it's what, like what it's, career though? If I, if I were to just continued and been a doctor, mm. you know, I, I mean, I like, or anything or, or anything that I wanted to be, you know, when you're in, in 18, 19, the world is your oyster. I mean, you can choose whatever you want. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course it's, it's not, it's a complicated relationship that I have to film, but I hate it and I love it sometimes. And does the love outweigh the hate? No, <laughs> they just sort of, they just sort of coexist. <laughs> well, uh, that's probably a good note to end on. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Of course.
Well, there it is. Thanks again to Amy for coming on the show from Down Under, and be sure to check out the girlfriend experience available on Stars. You can also rent Amy's first film, Sun Don't Shine, on Amazon, or possibly rent it at your local video store if that is still a beautiful luxury you have. Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud or your favorite podcasting app. And if you want to send mail of any kind, hate mail, love letters, just miscellaneous thoughts on Trump, or whatever you're thinking about in the day, feel free to do so at talkeasypod at gmail.com. I promise I read every one of these. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at TalkEasyPod. And lastly, if you have a spare moment in your busy day, please give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out a lot. Our theme music is provided by Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Technical assistance provided by Joe Stillwater. And the show is produced and edited by Corey Atad. I'm your host, Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. People. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.